Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, a show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit coming at you on your community radio, 91.1 FM, community radio for Southern Illinois. My name is Tree Song, and we have a guest with us on the line today. Good day. Good day. I'm glad we've got you here over the radio waves. <laughs> Are we prepared to talk about climate change? I think so. I mean, I don't know if we're ever truly prepared to talk about climate change. It's such an intense topic, but uh, we can <laughs> go ahead and try. U.S. mayors call for emergency action on climate change. Red alert, red alert. How do you make that sound? (laughs) Yeah. I was going to actually play it, but I don't have it connected right now. (laughs) Oh, okay. America's mayors have sent an urgent message to federal lawmakers and to the nation. Emergency action is needed on climate change. The U.S. Conference on Mayors. Now, one interesting tidbit, a little editorial, is our city, Carbondale, has signed on to this Conference of Mayors to work towards um, mitigating climate change. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. I was actually wondering, as I read this article, uh, if if our mayor was actually directly involved in this discussion or if it's just we're as a city in general involved. Either way, it's part of our commitment in Carbondale, too. Yeah. So the U.S. Conference on of Mayors, a bipartisan group that represents the leaders of 1,400 cities, each of which is home to at least 30,000 people, has called on the Obama administration and Congress to, quote, enact an emergency climate protection law. That's all in capitals, emergency climate protection law that provides a framework and funding for the implementation of a comprehensive national plan, end quote, to reduce greenhouse gas pollutions. Now, if members of Congress understand the urgency of climate change as well as the nation's mayors do, we might not be in as much of a screwed up climate situation as we are in today. Now, the resolution, which was approved by delegates during four days of meeting in Dallas, expresses strong support for the EPA's draft rules on power plant pollution. I actually said that pretty good. Power plant pollution. I guess I don't want to get too used to saying that, huh? (laughs) Yeah. It also calls on Congress to hurry up and extend renewable energy tax credits. Another resolution approved by the group endorses the establishment of Obama's proposed $1 billion climate adaptation fund. Quote, resiliency efforts, especially those regarding water and wastewater, not only save lives and taxpayer dollars, but also play a key role in preparing cities for the challenges they face from these events. End quote. The adaptation-related resolution stated... That's pretty strongly stated, eh? Yeah, that is. Mayors are sounding the alarm. 
There it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's good to see them coming out about that. Your alarm was a little too late there, Teresa. <laughs> yeah, a little too Actually, late. Actually, it's never too late. It's never too late. We can always still do something about it. It's good to see mayors taking action on this. And I bet that part of it is because, you know, as the, as the local, you know, local organizers, local leaders, whatever you want to call them, for their city or community, they're going to have to deal with a lot of the problems, the specific things like the flooding that happens or the droughts or, you know, power outages, heat waves. They're going to have to deal with a lot of them themselves. So they take it seriously, knowing that these things are coming and knowing that we can do things to be more resilient and to reduce emissions. All right, well, speaking of reducing emissions, here's a story about that. Uh, it's actually... <laughs> Some some mild incentive to reduce our emissions. Climate action could spur $2 trillion in economic growth. Politicians in Congress, politicians abroad, and fossil fuel companies would all like you to believe that taking action on climate change is too expensive. Better to blow all of our cash and credit on unsustainable oil and coal today and live large and dirty for as long as possible. That's what they argue. But now let's cue the World Bank study. I don't know what sound effect to use for a World Bank study. <laughs> the international lender, which has been belatedly waking up to the dangers of climate change in recent years, modeled the potential costs and benefits of using taxes, incentives, and regulations to clean up key sectors of some of the world's biggest economies. It analyzed reforms that could spur cleaner transportation, more efficient industrial use of energy, and less energy-hungry buildings and appliances. It concluded that such reforms could create GDP growth of $1.8 trillion to $2.6 trillion per year by 2030. Well, that's even, that's per year too. I mean, it's not just like one time and then it's done. That's a lot. And it would also, just as a side note, it would prevent 94,000 premature deaths annually. I mean, little details like that, not having 94,000 people die. That is, I would consider that a benefit. So in many cases, the analysts looked at local case studies, such as the benefits of providing rural Chinese with cleaner cook stoves and improving public transportation in an Indian city. Then they considered what the impacts would be if those initiatives were scaled up to national or regional levels. They concluded that the public health, economic development, food supply, and energy supply benefits of reforms in those key sectors far outweighed the cost of the reforms. Quote, Thanks to a growing body of research, it is now clear that climate-smart development can boost employment and can save millions of lives, states the World Bank report released on Tuesday. Smart development policies and projects can also slow down the pace of adverse climate changes. Based on this new scientific understanding and with development of new economic modeling tools to quantify these benefits, it's clear that the objectives of economic development and climate protection can be complementary. Now, I feel like part of the reason why they're coming out with these stories is because an increasing number of people know that we have to do something. You know, there's, I mean, whether we do anything or not, the climate, you know, the climate disasters are coming to us. So we need to do something to prepare for them. So they're trying to frame it in terms of how can we turn this into an economic boon rather than an economic boondoggle. Boone versus boondoggle. <laughs> yeah. Ah, the choices we have. 
Yeah, it's such a difficult choice. I mean, you know, whether or not we want to save trillions of dollars and thousands of lives, I mean, that's that's a tough choice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you balance, what is it where they balance the economy versus the environment, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm just picturing a scale where you have, like, a few dozen oil barons on one side of the scale, and like two trillion dollars and ninety-four thousand people on the other side of the scale, and it's like which side has more weight? I don't know. Like, well, it, well, if you're an oil baron, I guess. <laughs> yeah, if you're an oil baron, it's pretty obvious which side is more important. But if you're anybody else, I mean, you may have a different opinion. And we sometimes have different opinions here at your community spirit and at WDBX. Everything we know about neonic pesticides is often. Neonicotoid pesticides are great at killing insect pests, which helps to explain the dramatic rise in their use during the past 20 years. They're popular because they're systematic pesticides. They don't just get sprayed on plant surfaces. They can be applied to seeds, roots, and soil become incorporated into a growing plant, turning it into poison for any bugs that might munch on it. But using neocoids to control pests is like using a hand grenade to thwart a bank robbery, which is why the European Union has banned the use of many of them and why environmentalists are suing the U.S. EPA to do the same. Wait a second. People are suing the EPA to have them do their job? (laughs) Yeah, that seems to be increasingly the case. (laughs) The pesticides don't just affect pest species, of course. Most prominently, they affect bees and butterflies, which are poisoned when they gather pollen and nectar. The negative impacts go far beyond pollinators. They kill all manner of animals and affect all kinds of ecosystems. They're giving rise to kind of a silence 2.0. Quote, it's just a matter of time before somebody can point to major species linked to these compounds, said Pierre Milanou, a Canadian pesticides ecotuck. Can you imagine that there's someone whose job is that? <laughs> yeah. It's like a pesticide ecotoxicologist, huh? Yeah. Their whole life is studying ways that the environment gets poisoned. To finish this quote, bees have been the f- focus for the last two or three years, but it's a lot broader than that, end quote. So he, he actually contributed to an epic assessment of the ecological impacts of these type of pesticides. I mean, it says neonicotinoid. Yeah. Um, so that would be like tobacco based. Yeah. Ne- nicotine. I yeah. mean, when I was growing up, that's actually what they did. They would get tobacco plants, the, the ones they couldn't really sell in the south, and they would put it in a bucket and just let it soak in there, and you'd get this bucket of like tar goo, hmm. and you'd spray it on plants, and that would keep the bugs. It would basically. So. I don't think we're going to stop this because, I mean, you can't stop people from smoking it. So <laughs> how are you going to stop people from spraying it on plants, huh? Yeah. Well, I guess we can try, you know, and 
I often feel like most pesticides they should just call biocides. You know, they call them pesticides because the goal is to kill pests. But they, most of them kill whatever they, whatever, you know, animals they come in contact with. Right, so, they're a chemical, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's no surprise you, you meant to kill this bug that was eating your food, but you're also killing the butterflies, the bees. And then now there's a problem with selling of flowers, for example, where there are some flowers that will have this in them, and then you buy it from the store, you put it out thinking that you're helping the bees, but really it's, it could hurt the bees. So it's definitely very serious if we want to have a future with bees and butterflies on this planet. We need to reduce our use of neonicotinoid pesticides. I think we might want to go a little uh, step further because the simple fact is if we don't have bees, we don't have food for us. Yeah. So um, I know there are people who don't care for bees, but I know all of us care for food. So, yeah, I do tend to care for food. <laughs> yeah, so if we want to grow things, we need to have bees. Yeah, unless you want to be eating things that aren't pollinated for the rest of your life, which is not very many things that you currently eat. Then yeah, that's, that's, there's very few things. Yeah, you'll scour the wasteland for some sort of roots and fungus, you know. All right, here's a fun story. Pop-up solar station looks like Optimus Prime. Goes anywhere and has Wi-Fi. The eco- Come on, isn't every solar story a fun story? Yeah, every solar story is a fun story. I mean, unless it's a story... Not really. There's some bad ones. I yeah. Mean, it is a, It is an industry, but... Yeah, there's some bad ones, but, it, you know, unless it's about stopping... Both of them are. Yeah. Unless it's stopping solar or unless it's about the negative environmental effects of solar then it's usually a fun story. This one's fun, though, because it involves basically a, a transformer that's made out of solar panels. <laughs> the Ecos Power Cube sounds like a video game console, but it's actually a fully functioning solar-powered energy station. The company that made it describes it as, quote, the world's largest mobile solar-powered generator. The technology is housed inside of shipping containers, so they can take this and they bring it by boat, rail, plane... Or they can even drop it gently so that they don't damage the panels. <laughs> Anywhere in the world for disaster relief, for refugee situations, or, you know, for military situations that cause the refugee situations. So once it's on the ground, the Ecos Power Cube opens up like a transformer. It deploys all of these hidden, high-powered, photovoltaic solar panels. I mean, I've seen... We, we still can beam images over the radio, but I've seen the pictures and... You know, the panels slide out to the sides and to the top, and it just has, like, several times the footprint that you would expect something that size to have. It's just got these huge panels that stick out. And so they slide out to cover a wider area, and they produce 15 kilowatts of energy. And uh, they can even draw moisture out of the air to make clean, potable drinking water. And they have Wi-Fi... You know, if you, you need something to connect to the internet, but once you're on the internet, it can broadcast that to a wide range around the box. So yeah, they also, just for fun and a little bit of extra energy, they put in a small wind turbine. Because, you know, you get to generate energy while generating energy. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then once it folds out, it still has some space inside for using it for other functions. Like you use it to generate power, 
And then there's a little bit of indoor space inside where some of the panels were to do like a school, an emergency shelter. I mean, there, I, there's not all that much space because they do have batteries to store some of the power. But there are a few little cubby holes where you could have someone sit to get medical treatment or to, you know, stay out of the rain or such. It's a really interesting idea. And it's they've got prototypes already. I don't know how far they've gone in actually selling them, but something that is fairly straightforward and exists out in the world. Kind of fun, kind of interesting, kind of weird. Yeah. But kind of necessary. You have a disaster area, just drop a power cube in. Yeah. Yeah, I was just reflecting earlier today about the the fragility of our, our power grids. You know, you never know when we might need something like this in developed nations because the power grid goes out. And they just have to deploy a few of these to help save lives. Put your spare change to good use with crowdfunded science. Wondering what to do with that $9 burning a hole in your PayPal account? Sure, you could kick it to Indiegogo and help send your old college roommate to his brother's wedding in Aruba. And there's always Kickstarter. That kid from the coffee shop is trying to fund her short documentary on the history of philanthropy. On the other hand, you can give it to experiment.com. This is a crowdsourcing site for science funding. For example, to help uncover fracking's impact on air pollution, find a better way to clean up oil spills, figure out what's killing Caribbean corals. Nelson Harvey of High Country News focused specifically on the fracking studies finding funding through the site. A scientist from the University of Missouri who recently found elevated levels of but I can't pronounce it. Oh yeah, endocrine disrupting chemicals. What is endocrine? Oh, it's like the body systems, like the hormones that the body creates. Pretty important for life. He found uh, elevated levels of endocrine disrupting chemicals in parts of Garfield County, Colorado. They had the giant spills of wood water from fracking. Um, She's now planning a second phase of research, but with a surprising funding mechanism this time. Rather than seeking backing from government agencies or private foundations, Dr. Susan Nigel and her team are drumming up donations in the same way that many before have started small businesses, made documentary films, or produced t-shirts. They're crowdfunding their research through a new website called experiment.com. She's... Her crowdsourcing attempt, she's seeking $25,000, has actually raised $11,000 since March 24th and has 36 days to go, represents at least the fourth time in recent years that U.S. scientists have turned to the general public for financial help researching the health effects of the gas drilling technique called hydraulic fracturing or fracking. Earlier this year, a team of researchers from the University of Washington raised $12,000 through experiment.com to study how gas drilling 
contributes to ozone in Utah. And last year, a team from Pennsylvania raised $10,000 to examine the impact of fracking on stream ecology through the state of Pennsylvania. What's nice about this is for scientists, crowdsourcing funding can mean bypassing the slow and often politically charged grant route. Yeah. But of course, there are some drawbacks. For instance, the experiment.com site is run for profit and there are no cool perks like the free DVDs or bumper stickers you get when you fund a successful Kickstarter. Of course, I'm not sure what one would do with a complimentary bucket of oil-eating microbes, <laughs> but it's always nice to be asked. Yeah. But, you know, instead of a bumper sticker or a T-shirt, if you'd rather help prevent cancer or sequence a fern's genome, it's still better than a Miley Cyrus twerk T-shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of course, you can always stick with that buddy thing of sending your buddy to Aruba, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I actually like this crowdsourcing thing, you know, even though some people fund things that are, I think, are useless. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> yeah, at least then some things that are useful get funded, too. And Correct. I find this yeah. interesting, too, because there's a Facebook friend who I debate with off and on about whether... Which is more corrupt, like government funding for science or private funding for science? But here you got, here you got a new option, crowdsourcing for science. I mean, then you have people who are enthusiastic for science, they're the ones funding it, hopefully. Yep. I mean, there's no, what do you call it? Anything attached to the funding going through this. Yeah. All you gotta do is do the stated research that you said you'd do. That's your only strings. <laughs> that must be pretty yeah. relieving. Alright, some holidays. Uh, I wanted to mention, our previous DJ mentioned to me that today is the birthday of one of our listeners, Linda from Cesar. Uh, so we'd like to send a happy birthday out to her. Happy birthday, Linda. Yeah, She's I think. always interacted with us for a lot. Yeah, we've talked, we've talked to her on your community spirit. She's talked to a lot of the other DJs too. And we're glad to wish her a happy birthday. And some of the DJs who do music shows may be playing 70s love songs for Linda later in the day. Other holidays coming up. We've got sunglasses day today. <laughs> it's actually cloudy here in Southern Illinois right now, but you can rock your sunglasses anyway, just for fun. Sunday is Hug Holiday, Waffle Iron and Camera Day. So what do you do? Take a picture of you hugging a waffle iron? <laughs> yeah, just make sure it's not turned on. <laughs> I wish I'd known it was Hug Holiday. I could have played the Four Hugs a Day song. If you look online, you can find that one. Four Hugs a Day. Meteor Day is coming up on Monday. We dodged a meteor. Hopefully we'll dodge a few more. Have a little longer life on this planet. Tuesday is Creative Ice Cream Flavors Day and International Joke Day. Mm. So I wonder if they can make a pizza ice cream. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a good joke. Yeah, and Wednesday is I Forgot Day and World UFO Day. So those people out at Roswell forgot that they saw aliens. They thought it was a weather balloon. <laughs> and Thursday is Compliment Your Mirror Day disobedience day and stay out of the sunday hmm. and of course independence day is coming up yeah u.s independence day fourth of july coming up next friday 
All right, we've got some community happenings going on. First one here is the Sustainable Film Series. They're starting another batch of those films. It's always interesting to see what they put out. This one is called More Than Honey. It's showing tonight from 5.30 to 7 over at Long Branch Cafe and Bakery. More Than Honey is a new documentary by the Swiss filmmaker Marcus Imhoff. It looks at the fascinating world of bees. We were just talking about bees. Showing small family beekeepers and industrial honey farms. So, yeah, learn more about bees, the troubles they face, the good they do for the world. Over at Long Branch tonight at 5.30. Carbondale Community Friday Night Fair. 6 to 9 p.m. at the Town Square Pavilion. The Friday Night Fair is a free community event featuring locally grown produce, food court, a variety of handmade products and services, live music, and more. This happens every Friday in May and June at the Town Square Pavilion. This week's music is live DJ party. Yeah, kicking off the last one for the series with the live DJ party. So yeah, coming up tonight, also we have Movie and Pizza Party over at Guy House Interfaith Center. It starts at 7 p.m. This is They've started it to be every month now. It started out as just one, but now every month they're going to do a movie and pizza party. This month's feature film is Her, which I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's I've seen the trailers. It looks like a guy who falls in love with his operating system because it's it's a per, you know it's got the voice of a person, so he's he's falling in love with his operating system. <laughs> Should be a good one. And I love pizza and I love movies, so that's a good time. Uh, 7 p.m. at Guy House. Saturday, Carbondale Community Farmers Market, 9 until noon at the Carbondale Community High School. A lot of community at one place. Yep. This is a, providing a place for community to gather, meet the faces of agriculture, and get the taste of all Southern Illinois has to offer. All right, and coming up, we have a film showing on Tuesday. The film is Bullied, A Student, a School, and a Case That Made History. Now, I've actually seen this film. This is a really good film and really important exploration of bullying. It focuses on anti-gay bullying, and it also addresses all forms of bullying along the way. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just we really need to deal with the bullying issue, especially when there are people in the institutions in the school who sometimes let it slide. We need to do what we can to help people who are being bullied. So the film is called Bullied. It's coming up on Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the Women's Center. For more information, you can call 618-549-4807, extension 251. Well, that's the end of our show. You could mark your calendar for two events coming up. The Past for Peace, Friendship Caravan to Cuba, Tuesday, July 5th. And then the 13th Annual Illinois Renewable Energy Fair, August 23rd and 24th at IllinoisRenew.org. Yes. All right, well, this has once again been an exciting and informative episode of Your Community Spirit. We hope you've enjoyed it at least as much as we have. Any parting words before we set them off into the summer day? If you didn't like it, don't tell anybody, but if you liked it, tell everybody. (laughs) Exactly. All right, and either way, we will see you here next week on the radio.